The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. The Kerry woman, Mags Reardon, has faced tragedy, tragedy beyond belief, really, in her life. She's lost three of her children. Neve, Luke and Billy and all in heartbreaking circumstances. Now, it would be understandable for her or for anybody else to be overpowered by that grief. But if you're in front of television tomorrow, you should sit down and watch In the Name of the Sun. It is a one hour documentary. It's on RTE at 10.15 tomorrow night. And it details how Mags was determined to turn that suffering and that grief into something positive. And I'm delighted to say she's with me here now on the Hard Shoulder Mags. Thanks a million for coming in and for joining us. And I know you're on a visit back to Ireland from Malawi, uh, which we will discuss in just a moment. But you might start by taking us back to to when you started your family, actually, and what hopes or aspirations you had, if you had them. I mean, did you have kind of long-term plans or were you like a lot of the rest of us just struggle through one day at a time? I think it was, as you've just said, I think one day at a time like everybody else. And it was back, it was back in the, in the, we were facing into the 80s and it was a pretty tough time in Ireland for everybody. And I mentioned the three kids. Neve passed away in 1974, is that right? Yes. What was the circumstances of her death? Yeah, it was, it was actually a car accident, um, an accident with the, we had an old car and, yeah, I was turning the car one day on the pier in Dingle and put my foot on the brake and nothing happened. And the car, we went into the water, into, I don't know, 30 feet of water, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was April. It was it was cold. Um, I was thrown clear. I don't know how I was I, I was thrown clear through the windscreen, the impact of, of the car hitting the water. I assume I'd, I honestly don't know. I just mm. knew I was on the surface um, and I was familiar with water. I, I was I was a fairly good swimmer, and you know it, that wasn't worrying. But I knew the baby was in the back. But I also knew that there was no way, you know, a four month old child would survive an impact like that. So yeah, that was that was that. Yeah, basically. Um, I know echoes of that awful tragedy in Bundoor and a few years ago for a lot of people listening uh, to this. Um, this is kind of a. a kind of a grim reading through of a list, but I think it's just important to put all of this in context. Luke, Luke passed away two years later. Yeah, right? he, Luke was the subject of sudden infant death okay. syndrome, SIDS, which at the time seemed, was was relatively common, you know, um, but you rarely hear about it today. I'm not, I'm not too sure why. I mean, there was a sudden infant death syndrome association here in Ireland and I was a member of that. And I was just speaking to somebody recently and saying, I, I, you don't seem to hear about it happening so much now. I don't know. I don't know if things have improved, if, if babies' problems are picked up earlier on or I don't know. But I, you don't hear much about it now. But it's yeah. known as sudden infant death syndrome. You hear of sudden ad- adult death syndrome here almost more than you hear about sudden infant death syndrome. Yeah. Caught death, you would probably describe death, it at yes. the time. It yeah. was also caught death. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was kind of the, the name for it as well. But, but it, was, it was officially SIDS. And the Billy Reardon Memorial Clinic that we're going to talk about and the work that it does in just a moment is obviously named for Billy. What were the circumstances of Billy's death? We don't know. Billy went into Lake Malawi and didn't come out. Um, We can only assume that he must have had a catastrophic event while he was swimming, we can we are assuming it must have been a brain hemorrhage. He was he was very young. He was he was just twenty five. Um, he didn't have any you know underlying medical conditions, so we have to assume it must have been 
a, a brain hemorrhage. But we don't know. We never had a PM done because it took it took nearly four weeks to get his body back to Ireland. And, you know, a PM at that stage would probably have been inconclusive. And I didn't really see the point or his father didn't see the point of, of delaying anything any longer because it was going to be an incl- inconclusive postmortem anyway. So we but we we put it down to, to a brain hemorrhage. Um, and at the end of the day, a postmortem wasn't going to change anything. Yeah. Yeah. So we just said, yeah. And even even, you know, more than 20 years later, I don't regret not doing a postmortem. Even though at the time people said you'll regret it, you should do it, but I didn't, and I don't regret it. Yeah, you don't. You don't ask yourself why it happened. No, no, it no. happened. No, it happened. You know, and there's there's as I said already, doing a post mortem, either literally or 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 verbally or any other way, it wasn't going to change things. What well, What was he doing in Malawi? He was backpacking. He was yeah. having a good time, basically. Yeah. Um, he had done a lot of traveling. He he was he had just turned twenty five, but he had he had traveled Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, South America, Europe, and parts of Africa. So wow. he he'd been kind of backpacking since he was about seventeen. He I mean he he was at NUIG. He had just done his degree in NUIG, but you know during holidays and stuff like that he 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 traveled. And had you been to Malawi? Was there, there was no family connection to Malawi? Absolutely none whatsoever. No, he just it was it was one of these places. It was kind of on the backpackers trail at that at that stage. Yeah. And um, being a quintessential backpacker, he went to Malawi and um, that that was actually his third visit. He'd been there on two previous occasions. That was his third visit. Um, He he just he loved the country. He loved what he saw. He loved the people. It's 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 an amazing country. Yeah, you obviously visited then in the the wake of his his death. Yeah, I went back in 2000. Because um, <clears throat> I was curious to see what the attraction was, and also I wanted to, because we never really got the full story as to, as to what happened and the background and all the rest of it. Because in those days, there was no road into this village, there was no electricity, there was no running water, there were no telephones, so communications were very difficult. And and the Irish consul in the nearest city, which is Blanter, which was a five and a half hour drive away. They did the best they could, but it was just very difficult. So I just thought the only way to really find out what happened was to go there. So I did. Uh, and was it during that trip that the idea for the memorial clinic was born or, or, or had no. the idea been brewing already? Was it afterwards? No. no, the idea hadn't been brewing. The idea to do something had been brewing. Yeah. But but to be honest with you, I, I didn't know what I was going to meet when I went out there. I mean, if you've never been to sub-Saharan Africa and you've never been to a very remote parts of sub-Saharan Africa, you can't begin to imagine what it's like. And so I didn't have a clue. So when I landed there, you know, I spent uh, the first my, my first trip, I spent about two months in the village. And because my background was education, I kind of thought, well, maybe I'll do something in education. There was one primary school. There were 300 children in the classroom. And I thought, well, maybe I can do something about that. Mm. And then it was only subsequent to that that I realised there was no medical treatment. There were, there, were, there were no hospitals, no doctors, no nurses. And I just thought, well, you know, the way things seemed to me was that children didn't live long enough to go to school, a lot of them. So maybe we should start at the beginning, which is healthcare. So that's really how the whole idea of starting the clinic came about. And uh, talk to me then about practicalities. How does one go about starting a healthcare clinic from scratch? 5,000 miles away from home. Yes, exactly. I know. I know. I mean, when I look back on it now, I sometimes think 
I really was mad, you know. <laughs> and, and, and the time people said to me, you're crazy, but I just said, well, I'm going to do it and that's it. Um, the practicalities were huge. Obviously, money was the first question, um, fundraising. And then when we had the money to actually get out there and get the building materials and start building, as I said, there was no electricity, no running water, um, no power tools, nothing. And so anyway, with, with the help of, of, um, of a, funnily enough, a guy from New York City who had a construction company and knew a bit more about building than I did, um, we got it built. We got the first building up in, uh, we opened, we started building in, in October 2003 mm. and the clinic saw its first patients in August 2004. Okay. So it was pretty good going, yeah. you know, it was pretty good going. Um, considering we were five hour, we were 10 hour round trip from the nearest centre of supplies. So when you left the village to go to the nearest city, you needed to make sure that you had everything on the list because there was no mo- there were no more mobile phones. Nobody could call you and say you forgot to get this or would you get that. So, yeah. And w- w- when you say you know p- people accused you of being mad um, <laughs> or suggested you were, do you think? And I mean this in the best possible way. So bear with me. I mean, were you a bit? I mean, in hindsight now, were you a little? maddened by grief was this your way of I suppose maybe controlling something in your life given something had gone so out of control you could interpret it that way I mean I I can't say that that's wrong I can't say that you're incorrect but I don't know and I mean if that was what it was it's still continuing to this day yeah so I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But I mean, you know, we we started with with one building, with one doctor and one nurse and 10 local staff. Today we have three buildings and 40 staff. And and we're still growing. We're we're our next our next step now is to build a maternity unit. And so maybe I am still mad, but <laughs> it's going to happen, hopefully. And what's, what has been the focus of the work? Is it, is it general health care? Is there a focus on, on AIDS and, you know, early intervention with, you know, kids there, and infertility? There's, what is it? It's everything. Okay. It's everything. The, the, the outpatient department was the initial, was the initial clinic. Um, and then we realised we needed an inpatient department. And then um, we're talking about now 2005, 6, 7, 8, when AIDS was really getting a grip in sub-Saharan Africa and we realised we needed to have an AIDS clinic. So we started that. Um, obviously, there there were issues with women's health. There were issues with malaria. Um, and one of the big things is, is was um, cataract problem, problems with people. 1% of people in sub-Saharan Africa are bilaterally blind. 1%. That's a huge number. A huge so we realised that we needed to offer cataract surgery. Mm. So we, we now offer cataract surgery. Um, hypertension, big problem. We do a hypertension clinic, epilepsy, asthma, diabetes. We run all these clinics now out of, out of the, original, the, the original outpatient. I, and listen, all of that work and the next project being the maternity uh, clinic and uh, maternity unit, um, will keep you busy, keep you busy, keep the mind occupied. Are there times you do take a step back and you think, uh, you know, all these people are alive because of my intervention? And and yes, all the people that work with me, but because of that decision to set up this clinic. I don't really think about it until I'm reminded about it by people like you. <laughs> I don't know. I it's think a nice thing to be reminded of. Well, it is, it is. And, and I will say, you know, when we started in 2004, 
we had we had babies being brought to us, babies and young children coming to the clinic by the, their mums bringing them. Those babies and young children are now adults and they're now bringing their children. So we're now treating the second generation in the village. And, you know, the mortality rate in the village is rock bottom by comparison to mortality rates in other parts of the country. So, yes, you know, it has made a huge, a huge impact in, in that community. And no sign of slowing down yourself no. in this work? No. Why would you? Yeah, but I'm like, what would I do? You know, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll build a maternity unit and we'll get that up and running and then we'll take another look. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.